0: This is the Cross-Border Interviews. Welcome to the Cross-Border Interviews, the show where we bring you up close and personal with some of Canada's most exciting and vibrant communities. My name is Chris Brown and I'm your host for this exciting journey. Over the course of this series, we will be sitting down with local elected leaders from communities all across Canada. We will learn about who they are what drives them, and how they are working to make their communities a better place for everyone who lives there. We believe the best way to understand a community is to talk to the people who live and work there. That is why we are honored to have our guest on today. Please help me welcome Regional Counselor for Wards 1 and 2 for the Town of Halton Hills in the Province of Ontario, Counselor Clark Somerville. Counselor, welcome to the show. There's, there's the round of applause for you, Kristen. <laughs> please call me Clark for sure so clark i want to get the first question right off the bat here because this this sets up the entire interview where did your sense of duty to serve come from it
1: would have to be my grandfather my grandfather was the president of
0: the local riding
1: associations both provincially and federally back and uh he was always asked about running for council or, or for or for provincially or federally and he always said he was too busy he was uh farmer, he was a sheriff, he was an au- auction, you know, he worked in the auction business and real estate, and he was just too busy. And I had another uncle of mine who was a reeve in Wellington County, just north of where I am now. So it kind of started with that. I grew up with politics. And I think I shared this with you in, in the email is that I was so excited that when I turned 18, there was a federal election nine days after and I had to wait to vote because my birthday fell in, in, in early February and the election in 1980 for Joe Clark was only a few days after my 18th birthday. And I was excited to be able to vote. And it's it's always been an interest of mine.
0: We're I, I want to pick up on that a little bit later, but I want to go back sure. to your family here for a second, because it sounds like politics was ingrained at you at a young age. Uh, whether it be with your yes. grandfather or your father, uh, it sounds like politics was discussed at the dinner table. Had you always considered yourself political, and did you think to yourself one day, my name is going to be on that ballot? Looking back at that eighteen-year-old Clark going into that ballot box for the first time, did you ever think my name's going to be here one day? I
1: figured it would be one day. Really? But if you would, yes. Honestly, i I figured one day I would run and uh i'm a i'm a people person my background's hospitality and, and sales it's you know it's what i've always enjoyed but i think we don't do enough talking around the dinner table around about the politics of the day and especially in the u.s they don't but in canada we can't lose that because you and i may not be able to agree on an issue and you may support this party or i support that party but it doesn't matter. We all, we all want the best for our community. And we learn so much more by talking to each other. And I grew up always with us having those conversations. I remember being at my grandparents and the MP stopping by because it was a birthday or something with a plaque. And they walked in immediately. It was, oh, hello, Andy. Hello, Elsie. And hello, Reed. They knew, they knew, they knew the family from that. So I've always done that. And here's a very fun fact about me. Every prime minister, except for one, since I turned eighteen, I've met.
0: There's Which one only... haven't? Which one?
1: <laughs> Which one didn't you meet? I I did not get to meet Pierre Elliott Trudeau, oh. but and that's because I was eighteen and he went out of office and you know retired not long, you know in eighty eighty four. So, but every other prime minister I I had met in either my capacity as a counselor
0: or as a, a member of the public. Oh Clark I'm going to enjoy oh, yeah. this conversation so much now <laughs> oh, um I want to pick up on something you just said there because y- you alluded to the fact that politics was discussed at your dinner table you knew the mp you knew the prime you've met the prime ministers you may have known the provincial representatives But when it comes down to the local governments, the municipal politics, we always forget about that because it's not a party system locally. It is an individual, independent person. Unless you live in certain provinces and certain cities, there are some party politics to it. But overall, it's an independent uh, stream. When you were deciding to get involved yourself... What made you decide municipal politics would be the best option for you? Because you had seen the MPs in action, you had seen the MPPs in action, but locally, those are often the forgotten politics.
1: Well, you know, Chris, I've been asked more than once to run, either provincially or federally, and I've declined. And I've been asked by more than one party to run. So, you know, sign of is, a good I'm, counselor. <laughs> well, it's keep them guessing, right? Um, I usually tell people as a joke, I'm a member of the the butter tart party, and it's butter tarts for all. but uh, but no, you know what is that you a- you actually answer the question probably as well as I could. I got involved municipally, and it's because it was the nonpartisan. It was the one where I'm independent. And I can vote with what some people would think in a very party name, conservative way. In, on this issue, but vote in a very liberal or NDP way in that issue or for like what the Green Party would on another. And that's the thing is that when I walk in, I'm, I'm voting on my, my gut. I'm voting on my conscience. I'm voting on my research and what I feel. I do not have anyone standing behind me saying you have to vote this way. That's why I've stayed here. Because I don't know how well I could adapt to that that party politics or the whip of that, of, of having somebody telling me, we need you to vote this way.
0: So I want to take you back for a moment to that very first election that you put your name on the ballot. The first time that you said, okay, enough's enough, Clark's going on the ballot. Um I try to do a little bit of research on my guests before the, uh, I, I, I sit down with them, but I try not to do a lot because I want to learn from you as my listeners are learning yep. from you. And I want to know, first off, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, from, from what I re- re- read your bio, you first ran in 1996, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, okay. 1996. Yeah. Okay, Halton Hill's website is up to date. Congratulations, guys. So well, I helped, you
1: know, yeah, and, and editing the bio was something I seen. So yeah, yeah, that's when I first read.
0: So what happened in 1996 for you to finally say, okay, enough's enough after so many years being the volunteer for helping out campaigns, whether it be provincial, federal, or municipal, it's time to be on the opposite side of this. And I'm going to put my name on the ballot. What happened in 95, 96? Well, it was very simple. My neighbor
1: growing up had ran as a counselor and was so in our area we elect two local counselors one regional counselor so my neighbor was one of the two local counselors and i helped him out everything and he happened to contact me and said you know i'm thinking of retiring this will be my last term and it got me thinking about it because as he said he goes i'm going to be 70 at the end of this other term coming up or partway through it and i don't i i know that When you get to be 70, there's a lot less time in the hourglass than there was before. So he said, think about it. So I really did. One of the, I did not run on a issue that, you know, darn it, we need to have this new building or we need to do that. I ran very simply on the promise of I'll weigh every issue and I will, I will make the best decision that I can. And I might be right on some, I might be wrong on other ones, but I will do whatever I can to help help represent you and that was what i ran on and it was my family's been in the area for just shy of 200 years so there's you know there's people do tend to know what the name is you know good bad or indifferent but uh, (laughs) but but that's really what it was is that i i saw my neighbor was retiring i ran against a former mpp i ran against the assistant editor of the local paper and i ran against some guy who was just out from the community that's who i ran against the first time
0: who was the mpp
1: a, uh his name's noel Dignan. from he was the halton halton wellington mpp for the bob ray days he was an ndp mpp so that's who was on the ballot and these were all people afterwards i ended up just working having a tremendous working relationship with wow. right because they were you know just helped them out so that's actually what got me to run the first time
0: So I want to. And I filed. I filed
1: on the second last day.
0: I want to pick up on something that you just said, though, because you said. And I've done a lot of these interviews that you didn't run on an issue. And that's very surprising because if I talk to newer counselors, like counselors who were just elected in the last five years, they will say issue X was my biggest issue that I said I need to get in there and change or I needed to fix this because it was being destroyed and I felt like I was the only one who could do it. Do you think? People have changed the reason why they get into municipal politics since you first got elected. And I know this is a very oddball question. I'm throwing it out there. It's just you said it, and I kind of scratching my head because I'm like, I I, I like what Clark says here. Well, I have
1: I've always heard from people saying, and this isn't my words, but yeah, heard somebody say a single issue candidate when that issue is resolved has nothing <laughs> to stand on. <laughs> and it's, but so I look at it though is that. And, you know, we did have things at the time, at, you know, at that time as it was getting we needed, you know, we had a, a new fire hall that had recently opened. We we're working on a new arena. We had just finished the capital campaign. We had it where we needed some land to come in to get it developed that had been approved. So we did have all those like a multitude of issues. But I didn't stand up and say, you know, vote for me and I'll be the guy to make sure that the goose, the geese don't poop in the park. Which was what somebody told me they ran on one time because there was goose poop in the park, but but I didn't, I I wasn't someone standing up to do that as far.
0: I want to go back to that first election again here, and I, I know I'm jumping around here a lot. It's just no, okay. every time you say something, it just it sparks a new conversation. I would love to digest into more, but I want to go back and to that welcome first.
1: Welcome to Part Six Across Border <laughs> with Clark Somerville and Chris Brown. <laughs>
0: That first election, 1996, all the chips are on the table. You walk into the ballot box and you have to vote for yourself. A, you know, you're getting your first, you're you're getting at least one vote at the end of the day because you're putting your name, you're putting the X beside your name. What is that experience like for you when you walked into that ballot box? And do you remember it? And do you still get that same feeling after so many years in politics?
1: Well, the, uh, Yes, you, you always remember what that was like, because when you get to election day and you always have on your 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 pamphlet, if you need a ride on election day, you know, let me know, we'll arrange for a ride. And we had it set up where I worked. They were doing a little party for me because the boss has said, no, let's do this. Right. And uh, that day is nerve wracking. It still is on election day because there's everything is now entirely out of your control. You've been out, you have your signs out. You've knocked on as many doors as you can. You've been out there at every event. You've had to sometimes paste a smile on because you're exhausted. You know, you've had way too much coffee and way too much junk food, but everything is out of your control that day. So it's it's a day that you're really, to be honest, you're looking for things to do. And all you can do that day is you can't you know if you go into the polling stations you have to identify yourself you can't you know so i don't go into the polling stations on election day because i don't want anyone to ever think oh yeah he just showed up here so somebody remembers him you go around you make sure your signs are looking good you phone some people your friends your family other people who might have wanted a bit of follow-up those that you think you might be able to 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 nudge along but you just kind of you kind of keep yourself busy until nine o'clock at night. And it can be a long day. It can be a long day as you wait for those numbers to start coming in. It's faster now because we use electronic and alt mills, but when it was the paper ones, you would usually try to find out from like, say if there was a scrutineer who was there for a mayor candidate, you knew, you can say, can you just let me know my numbers? And then you might get a good sense of that as well.
0: I remember the first time I ran in 2010, and I remember that, that election night and waiting for the numbers. And at that time, they had just introduced the website where you could go on the website and yes. watch the results. And it took forever because that was, there was... It crashed.
1: It, <laughs> it yes, crashed. It crashed. <laughs> Everybody's website in Ontario crashed. I remember that. I remember that. Now, I will admit, Chris, and... Um, I've had five acclimations in a row, so I've been very fortunate that um, I haven't had to actually physically campaign municipally. I did for my role with FCM, which I know we'll get into, but but I've been fortunate to have five acclimations in a row. So the last physical election was 2003 that I was out with signs and everything as well. I've always been prepared. I can pull out my file here now. These are, you know, files from the election where I have stuff that from this passport because my website is always up. I leave it up in case people need to reach me. You know, I just it's very basic. But you always, you know, start thinking about making sure that you're accessible. Does,
0: does the novelty of getting elected wear off? Because after some time and I know you, you just said you've been acclaimed five times, but. That moment, because you still have to wait to figure out if you've been acclaimed or not on the nomination date, because that's the weird that's the weirdest part is sometimes someone will come in right at 12 o'clock and just say, you know what? I'm going to throw my name in like how much like do you just sit there and go refresh refresh or do you just not care? And like you said, no matter what, I'm prepared. If I have to run, I'm I'm good. If I don't, I'm good either way.
1: The last
0: two elections, on the day the nominations closed,
1: the one I had a niece visiting me, my two nieces visiting me, one is special needs. We were in Niagara Falls. and I'm watching the website <laughs> refresh, refresh, refresh. and then and then at that time it was ten after two on the Friday in July it closed. And I said to my wife like at two thirty, i I sent an email to the town staff and said, did anyone run against me? And they they can't really say it. They just said all nominations are closed <laughs> as per the website. So I knew that it was safe. This last election, we were celebrating my wife's birthday. We were in Alaska and on a cruise that we were supposed to do for her birthday in 2020, which obviously didn't happen. So we were just going out whale watching. And I'm there on the website. It's 10 a.m. out there, 2 p.m. here. Refresh. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm texting people I know who are back here who are watching it and easier to get access. And as we're pulling away from the from the ship and I'm holding my phone up, trying to get that last little bit of cell signal in, um, in icy Strait point, Alaska, it came in and said nominations are closed. There were no further nominations. But every year there's always been rumors up until the very last minute.
0: What does that say to you? What does that say to you as the counselor that no one is willing to put their name forward against you? Does that give you a sense of I'm doing a good job? And I'm not trying to be rude here in asking this question. It's just because you're the first person who I've had on the show, who's been acclaimed in their position, because I can imagine you're sitting there going, I'm doing a good job. Everyone's happy. Or are you sitting there going, I kind of wish someone would run against me because then we can exchange those ideas. Yeah. And it's,
1: that's the, you know, the, that's the hard part when no one runs against you is you don't get to put these things out, which is why I went to the website, you know, a dozen, well, 20 years ago, I went to a website, so I could put on all those things that I thought of as being part of the campaign. And I always have it up relatively early, like I always shoot for early July to have all that stuff up, and then the photo gallery and all the usual things like what we do. But you look at it as people must be thinking you are doing a good job and it's just trying to always be accessible to people. Like my wife will tell me, you know, put your phone down, you know. They see in the evening when I'm at home, this is a way. This is a way. If if somebody really needed to get a hold of me, the town staff would know how to track me down if it was that pressing of an issue. But it's um, you know, I will check it periodically, but I'm I'm not tethered to it. I don't need to have that. It's not, you know, it's not my lifeline and most municipal politicians will not tell you that either. I, I put my phone away in the evening because you know what, if the odd email after that, I'll respond to, but you do try to be accessible to people. And I guess that's just what it's carried forward. I think people know I work hard on it. I have a very complicated ward. So it's 300 square kilometers. There is two urban areas there are three conservation authorities. There are eight area codes. There is the Greenbelt, the Oak Ridges Moraine, the Niagara Escarpment Commission, the 401, the 407, the future 413. that's all in my ward. So I have, I have areas that are protected from ever growing. I have other areas where they're circling, waiting for them to grow. (laughs) It is the most complicated. And it's the largest ward in Halton region as well. So it is a large ward. And there's even two of my colleagues from Ward 2, the rural area, we were out today at a lunch meeting and somebody asked how they're enjoying it. And they said, this is a complicated ward. And I said, yeah, because you never know what's going to be coming at you. It could be well issues one day. It could be, dealing with um building issues and trying to get permits in place or it could be that they're trying to protect land for blanding turtles that are going to be nesting soon and asking how we get boxes to, to help protect nesting turtles so I never know what I'm actually going to be up against.
0: And that's not even including the provincial issues that I'm assuming some residents come talk to you about or federal issues that some people come talk to you about. Because as much as a municipal councillor is municipal and they deal with municipal right. issues, residents don't yeah. care, right? That's right. And, and, and they don't. They
1: want an answers. So yeah. I always look at it and I tell them, I may not be the person to help you, but I will try to get you in touch with the person. That can help you, and I'm very lucky. My MP here, my MPP, their offices, uh you know, are usually very, very responsive. You know, if 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 it is something federally or provincially, and you just try to help them out, and it's sometimes you know, like you know, we have, you know, there there was one lady who wanted to know about, it and it was something on um, on the tenant and landlord act, and they didn't know who to call, and I said, well, let me do a little bit of research, and I'm on the phone with them, and I'm typing on my computer, and I said, look. You really do need to call our MPP. I said, "Here's his number,"
0: and just are tell people them okay that with it. that? Are people okay with passing the buck? Because I hear from time to time municipal politicians say that residents aren't. They let they've elected you. They want you it to depends. fix. It. They want you to call the person and deal with this issue now. It depends. It
1: you know what? It depends on the issue, and you know, and it's I can't give a cut and dry to answer that. And I hate sitting on the fence because <laughs> all you get if you sit on the fence are blisters, right? But. If you, you know, if it's something that is, and you tell them clearly, it's not an issue that I can handle municipally, and said I can, I can tell you a whole bunch of things, but I can't resolve that. If you contact this agency, they're the ones that can resolve it, and that's usually people appreciate that as well. We get everything municipally. I've been asked about my position on um, on gun control, on uh, immigration, uh, border security.
0: Um, hospitals we get do you feel like you need to have an answer for that do you honestly feel like you need to have an answer for that because i can imagine
1: okay Hmm. i don't but if if somebody said to me well what do you think about you know your you know and i said well i can tell you my personal opinion on that but i said as a municipal counselor it's not something i deal with that is a federal or or provincial issue And you're far better to contact your MP or your MPP to let them know how you feel because they need to know how you feel on that.
0: I have a very poignant question I'm going to ask you. And I know I didn't send this beforehand, but I'm going to ask this very poignant question. You've been in politics for some time now. You've been around the board of FCM. What makes a good counselor? What makes a good local politician in your opinion? Uh, The one thing is to...
1: The easiest thing I always tell people is... It's far easier to get elected than what it is to learn to govern. <laughs> <clears throat> and once you are elected, you got to remember the election is over. The election is done. Get down to the governance. So, what makes a good counselor are the ones who are willing to listen to both sides, ones who know that that person calling saying, you know, that they're doing this and it's terrible. So, you can tell the age of someone they use a phone like that, not like that, right? And, you know, the, the, they're doing this and it's terrible and they shouldn't be doing it. And then when you get a hold of the staff, you find out, well, that's not really the case. So you always have to remember a good counsellor will always listen to both sides. A good counsellor will always be willing to admit if they're wrong, that, you know, if they made a mistake on something. And a good counsellor will always be willing to listen to every voice. Even if they don't always agree with them, listen to them because there may be a fact in there you have it considered.
0: So Ontario, BC, Manitoba, PEI, and New Brunswick all through, all went through elections in the last 24, uh, well, in the last 12 months. Last 12 months, yeah. What advice would you give these first-term councillors? Because by the time this airs, they're coming up to their first 100 days in office or their first year in office. What advice would you give them? Would it be that listen to both sides or is there something else that always gets forgotten about when it comes to newly elected councillors that people need to understand? I would tell them to pick the battle for the first time they get up to speak
1: and champion an issue, right? Like, you know, so if 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 they're planning on, I'm going to just pull something out of the air, right? Yeah. So say uh, John Smith over on Mill Street doesn't want parking in front of this, you know, that the, there's always people parking there and wants it as a no parking zone. And I would, I would tell to the councillor, you know, Jones, who represents Mr. Smith, I would say, well, you do realize the reason that they allow parking there is because the street beside it is there's the school and there's an overflow or there's, you know, there is some other reason. So maybe that's the reason they're doing it. So, or there could be a major business around the corner. So if you stand up to do that, the staff might not be able to support it. So pick your battle to the first time you really go up to dive up in in into an issue. Find out the reasoning why, right? Like, don't be shy about answering questions. And I tell any, any new counselor I work with, you know, whether I work with them in my own community or in other ones, I say, I'm not here to tell you how to vote. I, you know, you vote the way you feel is the way you wanna vote. But I'll just, I will give you my side of, of, of that issue. So I usually tell them just to pick their battles, listen to the advice, and don't be afraid to ask the questions. I may have heard that answer before, but there's nothing wrong with you asking questions. Ask them if you're not sure. We have to slow down sometimes on council to where that counselor is who is not all the way up to speed. We have to slow down on that, and I've said that in this term to people is council needs to council can go at the speed of what the speed of council as a whole can go at, if if that makes sense. It, it does. You know, and and, I, you know, I've been telling people, if you're not sure what we're passing, speak up, get us to slow down. Right. And don't be afraid to do that.
0: Okay, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here with you for a second, because you're not the first person who said this to me. My my issue with that, though, and this is devil's advocate, Chris, talking to Clark here for a second is. People don't want to speak up, especially in today's age. There's a lot of negativity that comes with um, politics in today's age, whether it be provincial or federal, and it's seeping into the municipal realm. And if you speak up and you ask questions and you ask things that you think are stupid questions, which I'm the king of stupid questions. If you listen to my show, you know, I ask the stupidest questions sometimes, but I'm okay with it. I haven't heard one yet. I haven't heard one (laughs) yet. Oh,
1: seriously.
0: So. At the end of the day, municipal councillors will be looking and say, I don't want to ask this question because it's going to make me look like I'm a stupid person and I don't know what I'm talking about and I'm going to feel like I'm out of my depth here. Are you saying, you know what, sometimes you have to be vulnerable in these elected positions because at the end of the day, if you're not sure what you're voting on, it does not do the city or the town or your community any service at the end of the day.
1: You're absolutely right. And I've actually had it where a councillor has contacted me.
0: Like a newer counselor, and
1: they said, "I'm wondering about this." And I said, "Well, ask that question." And one of them said to me, "I'm a little afraid to ask that question." So do you know what I've said. I said, "I will ask it." I said, "I will ask that question for you." Yep. I will ask that question, and and you know, and I will find a way to frame it. You know that uh, you know, and it, it could be you know, can you give us a refresher on why we? we allow parking on Mill Street as opposed to having it banned. Can you please give me that refresher? Because I know we did deal with this, but I can't remember all the details and staff will come back with, with that response. I've, I've actually done that because I've asked questions where I've had people look and say, we should know that as well. Sometimes you're asking the questions are not always for you. They're also for a member of the public who might've contacted you. And I think, I think people get frustrated with politics, Chris, if they see that it's moved along without any discussion and it moves along and it doesn't move along and nothing happens. People want that balance in, in between. They want to see you moving along. They don't want to see things, you know, I remember our, our, our budget we passed about eight years ago. We got criticized in the paper for not asking enough questions. But they didn't realize by the time we got to our council meeting where we were dealing with it, we'd had three nights of budget committee, we'd had ward meetings, we'd had individual meetings with staff, we had that. So by the time we got to our, our committee, our budget night at council, we'd already asked 30 hours of questions, plus back and forth. So there wasn't a lot more to ask unless you wanted to stand up and, you know, and ask a question for the sake of asking a question. So... I, I encourage people ask questions, create dialogue because the way we make the best decisions is by dialogue. And you know, and don't be afraid to take. You know, if you really feel that you should oppose that, then oppose that. You know,
0: I am so happy that I've been able to sit down with you, and I know <laughs> we're not even like into segment two yet, but you, you're opening my eyes, Clark, and I'm so happy that you're you you agreed well, to you. this show because. I think there's a lot of people who can take a lot of things out of what you've just been talking about. And I hope people are listening to what you're saying, because sometimes asking the questions four or five times does actually get the answer. You might actually need to hear instead of the first time and be confused about it. So thank you so much for being clear and and being honest about this stuff.
1: Well, it's what's the use of hiding behind it. And there are people who will do it. What's the use? Like, you know, At the end of the day, you know, we all want to build our communities. And by the way, you you can feel free to put my email address up and, you know, if people want to reach out to me, feel free because, you know, I have new counselors from different parts of the country will contact me and say, I just need a sounding board. This is what's going on. And you just you just give them a chance to talk and, you know, and just and play devil's advocate and and ask and, and probe and see what is their, you know, what is what is the big issue, right? And you know what you always have to ask people, and sometimes people are afraid of this one, is this the hill to die on? Is picking your battles, is that, you know, at, at in, a, in a term of council, right, whether it's three years or four years, it's four years here in Ontario, right? The first year for a new council is spent explaining the budget, Getting a budget passed, getting into strategic planning, workshops of learning. So there's all this, this information is coming out of new counselor, and it's coming fast and furious. I make it a goal of any new counselor elected in my area, I send them an email or I give them a call to say congratulations and let them know if they ever they ever have any questions. I've had some tell me on other counselors, other councils, that I was the only counselor who ever reached out to them to talk to them about that. I know like it's shocking because other ones, they, they think in that silo. I look at it. I have to work with you. The way I work best with you is if I know what makes you tick. If I know Chris Brown likes chocolate chip cookies every now and again, when I'm baking, I may bring chocolate chip cookies. I'm a chef by background. So, you know, so I may do something like that or it'll be my homemade barbecue sauce or or honey from my bees or something like that, right? So, you know, it's always it's always stuff like that, right? That, you know, I, I want to learn what makes you tick. When I was the president of FCM and I was going to every national conference, I did not fly in the morning, give a speech and fly out. I hated that. I wanted to go in at least the day ahead. I wanted to walk around. I'd have my badge on so they would know who I was and stop and talk as to what are the big issues affecting your community? Because I can pull more from that than I could from something where I'm getting it as a group. I could learn more about that as well.
0: We're going to be talking about FCM in a little bit later yeah. here, but I want to go back to you and the role as counselor before we turn to yeah. the, the, ta- the town of Halton Hills. And I want to I want to know because You've been elected since 1996, and I know we said we're going to be an hour, and I apologize if this runs a little bit late. Uh, oh, well, okay. That's okay, okay, because it's I'm like good. we're a half hour in and we're not even on segment two
1: yet. Well, that's no. why I said it'll be a six part. It'll be a six part one. Um,
0: Chris, I have all the time you need. Whatever. Okay, you know, whatever perfect. You this might be a two part episode depending on. How go. Um, you, you, you've been around the block. You've seen uh, councils come and go. Do you still get the chills every time you walk into that council chambers and make the decisions that are best for your community, whether it be the regional council or your town council? There are sometimes when you're done, you say, "We made good
1: decisions tonight. We made big decisions tonight." There, there, there. You still get those moments when you go and you get sworn in. You know, you put your hand hand up on a firm or Or, you know, or uh, solemnly declare, it is still a very special moment doing that as well. And it's, it always is. And it's because, so I look at it as on my council here in the town, I'm one of two regional councillors, plus the mayor. I'm one of 11 councillors total. At the region, I'm one of 24 councillors. So, yeah, there's 650,000 people in Halton Region and I'm one of 24 sitting around that table, deciding stuff that could impact this year and also deciding stuff that could Im- impact your grandchildren.
0: How does it not it weigh is- on you? How does it not weigh on you? Because I can imagine there's some days that you have to make some difficult decisions. And I think this is the reason why a lot of people are apprehensive about getting to politics because you 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 vote and you vote on a budget that affects someone's pocketbook. If you raise taxes, that means they're not going to be able to afford something this year. Or if they, if you cut back a service, that means they're not they're not going to be able to send their kids to that. Does it weigh on you on like yes. the the tolls that you have to make and the issues that you have to vote on? Yes, it does, and it's um, probably probably the worst
1: it ever did was during COVID when during COVID we're 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 closing recreational facilities, we're closing freaking parks, and. When COVID was at its worst was when I slept the least. And my wife noticed this as well. I would have terrible dreams. I, I wouldn't sleep. And I was just restless because I knew that there was nothing more I could do that was in my control to try to, try to get that changed. When taxes, taxes are always a difficult one. Every year you'll hear of counselors say, this was a difficult budget year. Every budget year is difficult for different reasons. But at the end of the day, there are things that I always look for in a budget, right, to say, do we need this? Is this a, a, a have or a want, right? You know, is this, I always look for those things. There are some budget years where I put more motions forward to remove things out of budgets or add things, right, you know, than, than most of my other colleagues. But it's because there are things that are important to me and important to things that I've heard about, right? So, yeah, budget always does play but remember, counselors still pay for their, their property taxes. We don't get a freebie on that. <laughs> but, you know, there are breaking we'll news, do. breaking news right here. Breaking news and coming up in part six, Counselor Somerville says, you know, I almost need the headset. I need to do it like, like you know, Ted Knight, right? You know, and Mary Town Moore. Coming up in section six, counselors are, I admit that they pay property taxes. So, you know, we do we do that. You your heart does break when you hear from you know, seniors, and you try to put the programs in to help seniors with property taxes, if you know if they do have those issues. and And I've always been a champion for those ones. We were the first community in Halton Hills halt was the first community or second in Ontario to have our legions not pay property taxes, <laughs> and it got picked up. Halton Region added it for they wouldn't pay the regional portion and then the province came in and said none of them pay property taxes so halton hill started that we heard a request from the legion and i can't remember what community it was it might have been in aurora or one of them asking you know saying we should do this and i said well why not so we were one of the first doing that so now you, you know how legions are struggling right what a better show of support for our veterans halton hills was the second community in Canada to have a a community covenant for veterans wow. as making sure we have that there's veteran support and not veterans who might have fought in in the Korean War, but our recent veterans to making sure that their support's there for them as well. So you know just sometimes those things, yeah, it does weigh on you, but you hope that you're at the end of the day, you are doing the right decisions based on the information you have. And that's all you can do.
0: Do you find that counselors and particularly new counselors get into the trap of I'm elected by the people of Ward X and I'm elected by the people of regional Ward X and Y, but I'm here only to serve them. But they have to remember, you're not only there to serve them, you're elected by them, but you're there to serve the town and or region as a whole. And you have to make the best decisions based on. The entire community, not just your section. Do you find Do you, do you find people forget that from time to time when they first get elected?
1: Periodically, I do find that. And it's funny because when you're getting elected, you're out running in that ward. So, you know, you're you're hyper focused on that ward. And then when you get around the big horseshoe, whether it's a town or the region, you're suddenly realizing that there are these other issues that that come up and. I've always been one that if it was, let's use Halton region as an example. Okay. So if there was a big issue that was going, that was in the regional agenda and it's a big vote and it, uh, it's affecting Melton, I would reach out to, to a couple of the Melton counselors and just find out, bounce it off and find out as to why same as in Oakville or Burlington as well. But I've always done that. It's just trying to understand if it's in my ward, if it was an issue that was affecting another ward and it's it's at our council meeting i will give a call to the to a councillor from that ward saying hey can you give me a bit more of this you know just just let me know and you do sometimes look to the councillors of that ward as to where they're going on it just to see but sometimes they do forget but if you ever look at the oath that you swear you don't swear an oath you are elected as counselor for this ward but the next line is serving the town slash city city city, of you know of punky doodle corners you know that it's
0: we, we we often forget that we are living in a very polarized community in this world, especially social media has been the rise of that over the last few years. Uh, I can imagine you've seen the transition from hyperbolic partisanship that we are currently living in compared to what it was like in 1996 when you were first elected. Do you listen to the the social media chatter as a counselor, or do you have to go and go door knock or do you have to go and... Go have a town hall. Like, how do you engage with your residents? Because I find, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm generalizing here, and I know I'm going to get yelled at by two councillors who are going to listen to this and yell at me directly for this. I find that councillors today, and I'm generalizing again, talk to their echo chamber. They talk to their people that are in their social media feeds. And they don't go out and do the hard work. And I say hard work as in, knock, go engage with people at community events, go engage with the the old timers group that's at the coffee shop at Sunday at three o'clock in the morning. Do you find that more people are being uh, hyperbolic and uh, are willing to just look inside their echo chamber for their their answers that they're looking for? Or do you find, in your opinion, people are actually willing to search out the answers to the, the big questions that are facing council in today's age? Well, great question. I love, I'm sorry. I love our conversation so much right now. <laughs> I was having a really bad morning and then this has just changed my life well, completely. I, I, so I, thank I, you, I, Clark. <laughs> it.
1: So this past weekend, we had a major storm here in Ontario, as you may have heard. Yeah. So I looked out on my the end of my laneway on Saturday morning at 3.30 and there's four feet of snow across the end of my laneway. And my wife has to be at work at seven. And so, you know, but, but anyways, so we had people this weekend on, and this was the biggest storm we had in Ontario in March since 1985. That's how big of a storm it was that we had. So we had, you know, and we, we, you know, you know, as, as well as I do growing up in Southern Ontario, we tend not to get a lot of big storms in March. They're usually here. This was... This was in seven hours, we had 30 centimeters of snow. So that's a lot of snow, right? So we had people were on social media saying about, well, this road isn't done, this road, and and people would tag me in in the comments. Some of them, I would send a, a message back and said, you know, I tried to read through 30 comments. I still don't know what they're talking about. Because on one, it was, and, and this lady said, and she goes, well, what do you mean they're talking about? I said, nowhere in their comments does it say, well, it's better snow service in Guelph and Orangeville is bare and and it's, it's nice in Miami. and So you have to, like, the, like a farmer, you have to separate the wheat from the chaff, right? So you have to look and see what the issue is. This lady who had tagged me, and it was someone who I have met over the years I contact, I think actually I met her by buying, uh, they had a family, um, they were raising money for Ukraine and they were doing a lemonade stand last year and I stopped by. So she tagged me from that, right? So I went out and um, I looked at, you know, the issue she was talking about. I sent a note in. But I don't jump on on every single post where somebody says, oh, they're doing this. I pick my battles on those ones, right? Because... It was. I had this this past weekend more complaints about snow removal, and I tell them send me an email. Very few do. Very very few do. But getting back to your you know to your point about social media, I think social media can be that trap because it can be that echo chamber. I find the best thing to do is if I'm in a rush grocery shopping, right. I go and I don't take a cart. I shop by hand. If I have a little bit of time, I grab a little hand basket. If I have all the time, I go grocery shopping on a Saturday morning. Right? I'm assuming and your I have-
0: wife doesn't come on that trip.
1: Well, she works in the grocery store, so she's usually at work.
0: And I just, I just
1: take my time around and I chitty chat, as she calls it, right? And it's just stopping people. I'll go in on a Wednesday morning when it's seniors, right? Seniors morning. I'll go in then. I'll go in on to the, when they do the men's breakfast at the senior center, right? And just going out to some of those as well, you you can tend to find out what these other issues are that are coming up. And you can get them unfiltered. But you also get to ask them. If you go to that coffee shop that's at the local coffee shop at 9 o'clock every morning, and you say, hey, what do you think about this? You might get a whole bunch of opinions today. Pop back in two days, and some will say, you know, I was thinking about what you asked, and you can get a bit of a different one. I think it's important as a counselor to get that diversion of opinions. I have a mother who is not afraid to call the mayor. She sees something she does not like. My, my mother's 94 and she will phone the mayor and say, well, just pass on to the mayor. They shouldn't be doing this. She won't phone me on some of it, but she'll phone the mayor's office and do that as well. So the apple did not fall far from the tree.
0: Um, I could continue this conversation, but I want to turn to segment two now. And segment sure. two, I want to preface this because we always get emails from uh, this question. I don't know why, but people seem to be very passionate about this question. This is a conversation between the councillor and myself. This is not a motion of council. This is not a direction of council. This is not an opinion of council. This is his opinion and his opinion only. So, Clark, in your opinion, I'm going to ask you this twice, but I'm going to ask you for the town particularly right now. In your opinion, what is the biggest issue facing the town of Halton Hills today? Uh, I would have to say the lack of assessment growth
1: and you know for for how our community is growing because we're not a we're not we're not at the stage to have residential plus industrial growth we have all the land it's just not serviced and and going along the way so that puts pressures onto our onto our tax space so i think from a town perspective that's probably the big one because everything outside of that will fall from that as such as this new community center and you know, this sports field. So I would say from the town perspective, that's probably it. From the personal perspective, (laughs) I think it's that, but I also think is how we deal as we still emerge from COVID. And it's, you know, we have it where so I'm an hour to downtown Toronto. I can literally walk. I can look out my window from my office. I would turn my iPad, but then all you'd see would be a flash of light. I can hear the go train that goes from my community to downtown Toronto. Wow. So I can be in downtown Toronto walking half, a, three quarters of a kilometer. I can be on a go train and head to downtown Toronto morning and night and a couple of times in the afternoon. So because we now have it where people have been moving out of the city, it's going to start putting different pressures on our community that we have. And it's all part of COVID recovery. Our recreational facilities now get usage at times where we used to have off hours. We now are getting more use on our trails in off hours. So we haven't quite figured out how this is going to look because we still have a lot of people who are working from home. We also have that whole network of people who are going in every day and seeing Mr. Slate as they punch the clock, and and then you know, and then slide down their their dinosaur to crush rocks. But you know, and there's still that we are we are not there yet as far as COVID recovery comes. Our businesses are still hurting. Our community groups are still hurting. Our, you know the 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 social fibers. I'm not sure how many events you've been to as things have opened up more, but they're massive crowds. And everybody has this dopey grin on their face because they're so happy to talk to live people. And that's the thing our technology helped us get through it. We just need that face to face to help. And our community groups, they're still suffering. Our businesses are still suffering.
0: So I, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer of the group here, nope. but how do you, you don't, nope. how do you, how do you fix that? How do you fix that? Because you are right. People are still struggling, whether it be the ramifications from COVID-19, whether it be that business who had two years of very, very hard times. And they're looking at their, their budgets right now going, I don't know if I can survive another year under the circumstances. How does the town of Halton Hills help communities businesses address these and I, I don't want to say social issues because so, there are social issues but they're also economic issues as well so how do you yeah. see yourself as counselor helping guide your community through this economic time and then we're going to talk about that other issue here in a few seconds because that's a, uh, about the um, assessment issue that you talked about because that's another issue i want to pick up on
1: yeah i think the biggest thing you can do is for your community is know that you know, you're going to be the advocate for them. It's it's also by setting by example, like shopping, like, you know, shopping locally, going out and supporting. I could very easily get fish food for my aquarium by never leaving my back room with the TV on, as I sit in my my track pants with my big fluffy slippers. I could, I could do that. But if I go over and see the, you know, the pet store, it's out being there supporting them as much as you can that's part of it but it's also is making sure that they have the supports that they need like you know at the town we did you know during um and we we are still doing it is helping them where there's called digital main street so they can broaden their their digital presence and and helping them we have the business concierge service at the town so if somebody is coming in to do the work it can help expedite it and get that you know get all that stuff done so I think it's important that they know that working with our chambers, working with our business, our uh, the uh, the BIAS, right, the the business improvement area, and our our community is making sure that we're there, so that when they come to you with an issue, they know that it'll be taken seriously, and you'll try to get them get it resolved for them. And I think that's the one thing that they need right off the bat is knowing that there's council will go to bat for them or you as councillor smith will will go to bat for them you won't win every battle but at least they know that you know you are willing to dig in and go and go to bat for them
0: earlier on you talked about the assessment issue around your community and i just want to clarify this because i want to make sure i got what you said right you're talking about the costs of housing the cost of Taxes going up. Okay, Uh, can you can you clarify what you meant by that? Because I I kind of understood, but I I guess I didn't because I I was going to ask a question that made no sense then to what you originally said.
1: The assessment is if as we always get a new a report each year in Ontario from the Municipal Property Assessment Corporation that tells you how much the town has grown with new assessment with new homes. Okay, so. Every municipal budget is based on a number, especially in, in the GTA, as to what they figure that assessment will be. So if it's two percent that assessment that's going into the budget, then you might have increases above that. Our assessment, we had planned it for be about two percent or 1.5 percent it was 0. 0.7. So because we had a lot less money coming in than what we had projected we would, we have to deal with how do we do that, right? And so you're there's, picking up so a lot of, a of the
0: slack the, of the, the you planned to get a certain amount, but then when the province said here's your here's your money, you kinda were left gobsmacked. Well no it wasn't it wasn't money. It was just how much the town has grown. No, so you, so, understandable. But yeah. if if it grows a certain amount, then you get a certain portion from the government as well. Like in we Alberta, get very little. From, we get very little from the province. What?
1: Okay, so in in Alberta, Saskatchewan, you guys have what's called linear assessment. Yeah, and that's you guys based don't. On, um, no, no. What we <laughs> can we can add up every inch of pipeline in our, in our in my municipality. And it would be less that they pay them what the average house pays. We do not get like what they have as the linear assessment. I can see your shot. We do not get like what they have as the linear assessment they have in Saskatchewan, Alberta. And by the way, you probably are talking to, to one of the only Ontario politicians who could even answer that question. And it's because from working with my good friends at SARM and SUMA and, and uh, AMD and C and uh, and, RMA uh, and all oh, so it's alphabet soup, right? Who do we have <laughs> here when we go to so our assessment growth is on homes and businesses. So new homes and businesses coming in. So we base it on that, that it is going to increase what our value we could collect as taxes. It'll be a two percent above that is going to be from new homes and businesses. That's why I said it's entirely different than linear assessment. So our average that we have for our our pipeline. So we have natural gas lines, right? That you know that you runs. You just through. said
0: pipeline but, on an Alberta podcast. You're going to get really big points out here, man. <laughs> but I I should get points for knowing what Lydia assesses. You, oh well, <laughs> that's the clip of the show right there.
1: <laughs> so when you look at it, that our if we have a pipeline that runs through here or a hydro. They call it a power corridor because it could be hydro, could be, could be gas, could be oil, whatever it is, right? That's running through that, well, gas or, or electric. We do not get anything based on the volume of what goes in there. We get any assessment is based on the width of the pipe times the length. So if it runs through town at 18 inches times one mile, our assessment is based on class four property on that. So it's very little, like the town gets, I think the town of Halton knows if I remember the number, I can grab my budget book and flip them through and find it. I think it's like $18,000 a year is what we would get from that. We get very little money from the provincial government. We do for provincial cast tax, it's all rated to transit. But our social services and a lot of the money flows through to the region from the province public health and items like that are done regionally policing right we have fire locally so the money comes to the town for that for anything we might have as as grants there is very little compared to other areas of the country
0: Here I thought I was a smart person, but when it came to some municipal politics, then I then I decided to sit down with Clark Somerville and think to myself, <laughs> "I I know what I'm talking about." Oh no, I don't. <laughs> and welcome to Cross Border with the new host Clark Somerville. <laughs> there you go. Um, I want to. I'm just, I I am flabbergasted by this question. So I'm just not, I'm just going to leave that question behind and move to the next one because I want to talk about the region here for a second. Because as the region, you are not, so as a town, as a counselor, you have to represent the town of Halton Hills, but as a region, you have to represent the region of Halton. And I can imagine those conflict from time to time. Those are very conflicting because you're looking at the region as a whole and you're looking at the town as a whole. How do you balance the two? Because you want to move the region forward, but that means sometimes regional money may not go to your community and it may go to Milton.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, you know what? It's
1: always It's always been that challenge. Our regional staff is very good at when they're doing the budgeting and they're doing a program. They did one a few years ago as they were as they were doing the program and included money for the redevelopment of our sewage treatment plant in my community. So I live in the community of Acton, which is the smallest one in the region. So it's about ten thousand people at the top of the Niagara Scarpment. So I'm I'm a i am i am I love how you say
0: it. ten thousand is small. Ten thousand out of Alberta is a city, for God's sakes. I know, I know, I know, and I know that. I know that a thousand
1: people in Saskatchewan. Is considered urban and a thousand here is a laugh. No, but but that's the difference, though, right? So you gotta remember Halton Region is six hundred and fifty thousand, the town of Halton Hills is sixty-five thousand. My ward is roughly twenty seven thousand or so. But so the community I live in is 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 ten thousand, but the region was was spending 35 million to upgrade our wastewater treatment plant here but it was also part of it. at the same time they had in oakville they were spending you know 150 million to do theirs they were spending 200 million in burlington and you know it was the regional staff are very good at making sure that it's very very inclusive on those on those big projects
0: as they're doing so what's the big issue facing the the region right now though what's the biggest issue like is it is it local micro issues or is there a big is it the, and I, I i know i'm gonna put my uh, foot in here here by asking this question well but that's what is it is it greenbelt and housing
1: well not in our area there is zero land coming out of our greenbelt for housing
0: oh. in oh,
1: okay. it's a misconception they have everyone thinks that the green belt is being paved over if I take you to the edge of the community I live in, you're in the Greenbelt. I'm surrounded by the Greenbelt where I live. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I don't have a cough button. If you know, um, But if you, you know, if you look at it's housing, yes. The housing supply. The biggest issue facing the region right now and facing the town is Bill 23, which the province has in. So Bill 23 has changed what we can charge on development charges the bill 23 actually says that halton region will not have a planning role okay. we don't entirely know what that means yet because Do they? no and it's it's it hasn't been enacted yet so we're still waiting to find out what that means so what it will mean is the town will have to come up with our official plan the province is now going to approve it so growth is always a big one because so regional responsibility. The region does fire or sorry, policing, ambulance, social services, public health, major roads, right? And long-range
0: planning. Does it do waste? The town
1: waste as well. Yes. Okay. Water, waste, water. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted water to make sure waste.
0: because I know Durham does that. No so I just wanted yeah. to double so, check. And it's and it's
1: the same model. It's the same model. So there's very few things that we have that are cross cross border uh-huh, that are that are that are you know that are duplicated between the two so the town does local planning recreation local roads you know fire um yeah and as an example so, so we do we do those ones. so now that the town is going to have to do it we still don't know how when we have this subdivision that is ready to go that we've approved the province has said is okay we don't know how we go to the region to say, Hey, here,
0: tell us when you're gonna start. We don't know those things yet. There's a lot of uncertainty. So how does upstairs. that how do you plan then? How do you plan for the future when the province is telling you that we need X amount of housing by twenty thirty or twenty twenty eight or twenty fifty or whatever you, uh goalposts they've put in the ground? 2051, twenty fifty one. Twenty plus 20- ten years they're talking, but the the growth plans we have now in twenty 20- so how do you plan when you don't know when it sounds like and you're not the first person who's talked to me about Bill 23. You are the second. I talked to the mayor of Innisfil earlier this. Uh, this
1: oh, Mayor, mayor Dolan.
0: Yeah. Mayor Dolan, Lynn Dolan. Uh, she was on the show and I can tell you that she had that exact same issue with Bill 23. How do you yeah. plan? How do you plan for growth and what you need to do to get by when the province doesn't know what they're doing? and i'm not trying to put you in the political like answer no, here I, but i kind of want the political i'll, I'll answer. give you my
1: I'll, I'll give you my honest answer is you just keep planning you just keep planning because whether you go to pull that plan off so you have to look at it is we know we have a provincial government for the next 4 years until june 2026 right who knows what will happen after that we have municipal elections in in october 2026 our duty is to plan and to keep moving these things forward we have to hope and I really do believe that the province will look at some of these this legislation that they've passed and say holy mackerel there's a lot of unintended consequences there and they will they will you know massage some of them let's use that as the term And because
0: as someone who worked at Queen's Park, I know what you mean by massage the language. (laughs) So that's why I think that you know that they will do that. But
1: in the meantime, like you know, for the for the the region, we still have all these things that we're planning. We have growth to to 2030, you know, 2025 that we're going to be starting, right? Coming on stream. The pipes are already running up the road to here. So it's In my mind, we just keep planning. I want us to get together and start planning the next phase of growth, which is the 2050 one. I'm chomping at the bit for us to get around the table saying, here's the land, we know it's gonna be residential, this is commercial, industrial, institutional. Let's start planning because it takes so long for be able to get anything in the ground. And the province, the province, I think that, you know what? I don't think you will see as many homes built. And I don't know if, if, if Lynn told you this as well. I don't think they'll see as many homes built as what they want because it's going to do some gutting of some of these agencies that we rely on to be able to do it. And it still takes time. Like, even if you wanted to today, if your subdivision and everything was approved, by the time we go through an environmental assessment, by the time we go through, you know, all of these studies, it could be at the tail end of the ten years of when they want to see these homes built. So some of it is not us just saying, "Oh, well, hold on there." We see a three-toed uh, caterpillar that we got to we got to look and see if it, you know, uh, if it's nesting. It's not that. It's just some of the things that we have in place we have to do those environmental protections because of the public process <clears throat> excuse me i have to have a drink
0: no worries i want to i want to i want to sort of jump into a different segment here while you're taking a sure. drink here for a second and i want to know because If I go talk to the people of Halton Hills and I go ask a hundred people, not in your area, maybe in your area, maybe if I go downtown Halton Hills uh, tomorrow and I ask a hundred people in your community what their biggest issue is, they're all going to tell me something different. They may tell me something that you just told me about. How do you balance that? How do you balance what they believe is the biggest issue versus what And council believes is the biggest issue because you're there elected by the people and you're supposed to be their voice. And what they believe is the biggest issue isn't very important to them, whether it be a sidewalk or a pothole or parking or um, a playground. They believe that issue is the important one. When you're looking at budget, when you're looking at growing the city, whether you're looking at affordable housing, how do you balance what time you dedicate towards the big issues with the micro issues that people believe are the more important ones? I always go by the last person I spoke with. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's if I it's, don't get canceled after this interview by all the jokes we're making.
1: No, but it's but you know what, though, is that you have to have a little bit of humor in life, you know, because we we can deal with very serious, you know, things. But you have to have a joke in, in life as well. Um you no, know, you know what, and that's always that balance of of trying to do that is always the the difficult thing. That's why I shut my phone off at night is so that I can have that balance. I can have that time with my wife and and with my family. And and I've I've said to people who have uh, we've been in a restaurant having dinner, and someone will and say, "Well, can I just ask you a quick question?" And I will say, "Well, no, I will. I am. I'm out." for my wife where we're just enjoying dinner. Here's my card. Give me a call tomorrow.
0: And are people willing is, to
1: accept that? Most you will not hear from. The odd one will. I had one guy catch me and I was, had my, you know, I hadn't shaved in a couple of days. I was on my way to the cottage wearing an old Led Zeppelin T-shirt and, uh, you know, a pair of, a pair of jean shorts and sandals and, and said, uh, are you off duty? And I go, well, yeah, I am heading to the cottage. Well, when are you back? told him and said uh i'm going to contact you then with an issue and he did and he did and it was yeah and it it was someone who i who i had known for years but that balance is always the difficult part and it's that balance is the toughest thing to try to explain to a new counselor to try to achieve is you know with listening uh, or which voices you hear at the end of the day it comes down to your gut comes down to what you really feel you know you truly believe is is how you have to vote and if you truly believe that what you're voting in is the best solution then support it support it go with that if you know and that's what I you know I tell people it's that gut feel it's just that gut feel that you know you have to have on the issue you will make mistakes but when you make a mistake you tell people look I'm sorry. I was going on the information I had. This is different. I'm, you know, and you politicians are afraid to say, I'm sorry. The most frustrating thing in the world, if you ever have to phone a telecom company and, and uh, you know that they're wrong, they will not say they're sorry. They will say, I understand your frustration. And if you say, well, you really don't, because if you did, you'd apologize for what your company did. They won't. People, people want to hear a politician be able to say, no matter at what level, I'm sorry about that. People want to hear that.
0: I wanna, I wanna pose a question that I was not going to, but I want to anyway, because well, it seems like you're very. Open. I look
1: like you've thrown me off on it. I know it
0: seems like you're very open and honest. One of the big things that I am trying to do with this show is get people engaged, get people talking about municipal politics, get people talking about local government. Yeah. Would you say the town, the region that you represent, the residents are engaged? No. Really? Did you want me to think about that? No, 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 I I, I, I was expecting that answer. I was honestly expecting that answer. But my follow-up to that is, is democracy and local government dying because of that? Because I see people bitch and complain about provincial and federal politics all the time. The only time they'll complain about local government is if their water doesn't turn on or if their taxes go up by, like, more than a dollar sometimes. Is local government dying when it comes to democracy and engagement? No,
1: because... Even though, even though we're, you know, we don't engage people, the problem that we have now, and it's it's out of our hands, and the solution's not an easy one to fix, we have lost the, for the most part, our local papers. If we do have a local paper, it's a shell. We have online ones which can pick up some things, but tends to have more of a bias in it. It's it's the you know, it's not the you don't say
0: not, so, Clark. No, I hate to tell you. I'm sorry,
1: Chris. I I'm sorry You are
0: breaking that. a lot of news here. Like if I was a local journalist in Halton Hills, I'd be just putting a microphone in front of your face every meeting. They do contact
1: me. Um, but it's also there are people so in our area here, even though we're in the GTA, we have a lot of areas where people have dial up still. And it's because of cell service being terrible. You can go you can lose cell service going off. Highway 25, which I can see from my window, you get 300 meters off Highway 25 and you lose cell service because of the Niagara Escarpment. You can't put towers up, so we we get some of those issues as well. So I I have, and it's a matter of fact. I was thinking of this yesterday as when we do our public meetings, you know, we do them as a hybrid now, where some of the members of council might might be in the chambers and the people might be on zoom or whatever as well and we do polling questions when we're doing them i will never answer a polling question as a counselor if i'm on that because it's not my opinion thereafter on that polling question and i even said to my colleagues we should not be answering those well we have an opinion yeah you may have an opinion but you get to decide later so i think we need to we have the opportunity now that there is technology that'll do it there are these small little apps, and I'm sorry, I can't think of the name of one. They used one at FCM in February when I was at the Sustainable Communities Conferences. You can be watching this in your virtual. You can pick up your phone and vote and ask a question when you're online. There are other ones out there. It's not the chat box on Zoom. It's not you know these other ones. But I think that we need to try to figure out that way to do it to get that balance. People will and this is true historically, provincially, municipally, and federally. They get engaged when there's an issue that they care about. When their road is going to be widened and you know, Mrs. Johnson's going to lose that whippoorwill tree that's been on the corner for a hundred years, they get engaged with that. You know, if if they've now redone the road one street over and it's being rebuilt and they're getting more traffic. They're now engaged on that. When I go to civics class, I haven't done it for a couple of years, I ask three questions at the start of the the class, okay? If the federal government stopped working today, when would you notice? When the provincial government stopped working, when would you notice? If the municipal government stopped working, when would you notice? And it's an open question, I will ask for one of them to volunteer to write down the answers for the time. And it's always shocking how many think that the municipal government, they would, you know, they would be able to survive a lot longer than what they really realize. And it's just shocking, you know, how much, how much they do that. And, you know, you'll say, oh, my gosh, look at this, Chris, my wife, not realizing I'm I'm in a podcast,
0: brought me fresh baked cookies. Uh, I, I'll take some to Calgary, Alberta as well. That'd be greatly appreciated. <laughs> Isn't that
1: nice of her? I heard her baking something. So that's the nice thing. And I'm so lucky. You you can't do politics unless you, unless you have the support of your family. And I am truly blessed with my wife, just how supportive she is through all my cock and me things. Right. So, so, so getting, getting back to engagement is it's also is that, you know, People don't always want to go to and see, walk in, and there's a robotic presentation. There's 20 minutes of questions, and then they wrap up. I prefer the style where everything is out around in the room. You walk up, you can look around. If you have questions, you can ask this person. You can ask that person. I prefer that style because it's like you said, you know, two hours ago. I'm kidding. About not everybody wants to speak up on that as well. And it's so difficult. People will be people will respond to communication when they want to be communicated to if they don't.
0: okay. I'm going to turn to segment three and I know segment three was going to be about tourism, but I'm throwing in a new segment here because you are the president emeritus of the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, FCM. Yes. Uh yeah. FCM is coming up with their annual general meeting in Toronto later in May of 2023. And I want to I want to get your opinion on the organization here for a second, because I believe it is a good organization. I believe it is a needed organization as the president who as someone who served as president, as someone who has been in the backgrounds now uh, seeing Tanine Rudick, uh, your predecessor doing it what's your thoughts on FCM in uh, the this this age that we currently live in you know
1: what and FCM has been an, it's it's been so difficult for organizations like that because when you get together face to face you can you can help do that and they haven't been able to because of obviously and now they're able to start doing it like I attended last June the conference I had in in uh, Regina first time I'd been in Regina in probably five in five years and it was much nicer being there in June than what it was in February when I was there the last time but organizations like FCM in my opinion now are needed more than ever and it's because of that fragmentation so for you for your your are they viewers or listeners well we'll go with viewers or both right FCM is the only national organization that has membership in every single federal riding. No other organization like it does. The political parties may have it, but FCM in its role as a a not-for-profit is the only one that has that. It represents 93% of the Canadian population. So those are massive numbers. And I think that's why, like FCM, you've heard them talking about the need to make sure that, you know, communities, we have the funding, we have that. And some of these issues that I spoke about, the Green Municipal Fund, right, which does the low-cost loans and the grants. So the year I was president, we were excited that it, it went and increased to close to a billion, and we had about $200 million worth of money we could use for, asset management and climate change and that as well. It's now double that, that that they have. Like it, it's, it is so much money and it's FCM administrating that fund on behalf of the federal government is the quickest way to get that money into the municipalities. And the projects have a whole steep reporting guideline that they have to do. But as we get those challenges, you know, it is so important for every municipality, no matter what province you're in or territory, to be in touch with your provincial or territorial association and with FCM. Because FCM, as an example, the gas tax, everybody talks about the gas tax that goes back to the municipalities. The municipalities, because of it, FCM, get this little bonus, and in my community, is about $600,000 a year, it's GST hst rebates so we don't pay hst on items that when we're out purchasing as a municipality because one order of government should not be taxing another order of government so there are those hidden ones in there
0: i know saskatchewan's going through some issues right now where they're lobbying the sumas, lobbying the provincial government to uh take the PST on some of those issues as well that's right yeah And, and i completely agree with that I want to ask the, the million dollar question, though, in your opinion, looking to the future, looking to what's ahead for municipalities, what's the biggest issue that the organization and the, the, the municipalities in general, their membership are going to face in the next few years? Is it affordability? Is it housing? Is it something else that I'm not seeing? Housing is
1: always a difficult one because there's so many different rules in every province like social housing, Ontario is the only one where municipalities directly do social housing and no other, municip- no other province or territory does it quite that way. I think the biggest thing is going to be, is going to be as we get closer, the adaptation for climate change is going to be a big issue because municipalities by our nature tend to emit a lot of, of greenhouse gases. And as we're heading towards 2050, getting that is not going to be easier. The low, You know, people use the expression, the low-hanging fruit. You should never pick the low-hanging fruit. It, It tends to be the sourest, the sweetest fruits at the top of the tree. But, you know, those small little projects are going to be the easiest ones to do. It's those big ones that are going to be the harder ones. That's where they're going to need the provincial and federal governments to be able to do it because... By the nature of our work, look at an arena, right? An arena, we are, we are keeping that ice a certain thickness for the best ice quality and for the lowest cost to be able to produce it, right? An arena is a, a swimming pool, huge emitters of greenhouse gases. By the nature of our business. Climate change is going to be a big one because of the things we, you know, that we do that are on roads, how we're doing roads, you know, electric charging networks and those things are all secondary, you know, we have roads that we need to maintain as well. And people will still be, as much as we want to think that, you know, people may be able to rely and work from home, there will still be a need for people to get out of their house and go to the grocery store, there'll still be a need for people to you know to go and visit aunt aunt martha for her for her birthday and and christmas those important social aspects so i think that is going to be a big one coming up we're going to be in those funding challenges that we have
0: well, I, I wish the best of luck to uh, the next president, whoever I believe it is Quebec's turn for their... Scotty uh, Tom, Pierce, yeah. Scotty Pierce, the former guest of the show as well. So I uh, saw that, yeah. I wish him the best of uh, luck on that. I'm looking forward to chatting with him again in the future about FCM and the role that he thinks the organization plays. But I want to I wanna ask one last question. What made you get involved in FCM? Because most people may not know most counselors may think okay it's just an organization that it's like the masonic lodge you get the secret handshake and then you get to go and sit on the council and you get to go now did you say
1: that because <laughs> i'm a member of the masonic
0: lodge i i lodge 66 girl man lodge 66 well lodge 321 here in ontario 321 there you go oh wow past we, master. Past, let's, past, let's, master. Uh, my father was the past master as well um now, now we're going to get conspiracy theorists talking about it. <laughs> show exactly. Um, I don't even know where oh, uh, what was it going? I, I I see, this is what happens when I start talking. Oh, FCM. How do people get involved? Is it like, do you just randomly apply one day and uh, like as a counselor, you like go to a meeting and get like the tap on the shoulder, hey, you should run or how did you get involved and how should other people look at the organization if they are thinking about wanting to sit on the board? Well, this year will mark my 21st year of
1: attending FCM and 20 of those are straight consecutive, right? So I uh, I attended um in in various areas and i was actually in calgary and a former counselor from halton region from burlington who wasn't elected had said to me you should get involved with fcm so i put my name forward for committees and i served on committees for that year and then after that i thought well i'm going to run so in 2009 i ran for the board in 2013 i uh was Ontario was electing a vice president. And I thought, you know, I could do that job. And I think I could do it very well. So I launched the national campaign. Imagine a campaign where you have literally 15 seconds to try and talk to every delegate over the amount of time that they're there before the vote. Not a lot of time. So I had a huge team that worked with me and I was successful. But the biggest thing is, find out from your province or your territory who is on the board and reach out to them. Even if you send an email to FCM and say, hey, I'd like to find out a bit more, can you direct me? Because every every area of the country has a person who is a caucus chair. And F, FCM would probably direct you to them to be able to, to talk to them. In Ontario, it's Tim Tierney, who's a counselor from Ottawa. And then BC is Leah Maine. Leah Maine represents a community of Silverton, BC. That's seven hundred people, and she's on the board as caucus chair for FCM. Like that's truly if, where it's. If I think, if
0: I, if I'm correct, I believe it's uh, Mike Yergaio from Penhold, who is Alberta. I could be wrong. I don't yes. think it's Tanine. And then in Saskatchewan, no. it's Jamie Martin's from Martinsville. Jamie Martins, that's right. <laughs> that's right all, all these people have been on the show
1: yeah and that's but you're right and that's what it's so the best way to you know there is the old saying and uh it was uh roger anderson who was the chair of durham region who you oh roger roger my, my roger. aunt
0: knows roger quite well knew roger quite well my yeah, my roger. aunt was the former mayor of port perry marilyn pierce <laughs> well yes marilyn pierce of
1: course so <laughs> Roger always used to say that um, if you're not at the table, you end up on, on the menu. And Roger was, Roger is one of those guys. I missed Roger tremendously. He was just such a great guy and he really did work hard for, for, for Durham and for all the residents. And he, he just had that sense of humor, you know, that he had that. Roger was one who pushed for the gas tax not to be given just to the cities. But to every community in Canada, and that's why every community in Canada has had such a benefit. I know they call it the Canadian Community Fund now, but it's we know it's what easier you're about. Yeah, we yeah we know it's gas tax. Well, you know you know why they, you know what is the biggest misconception about that fund? What people think it's actually pegged to what the price of gas is and how much gas is used in Canada. No, it is based on how much a 5 cents a liter was in 2002 when it was created or 2003 it was based on that amount now it's indexed and been increased but it comes out of general revenue it has nothing, it does not come out of gas tax it was the equivalent to 5 5 cents a liter then that's where it actually comes from but it comes out of general revenue and there's something I will that you could ask everyone on there, and you'll probably get very few who are able to to uh answer that, no matter what province they were from.
0: You are a wealth of knowledge, Clark. You are a wealth of well, knowledge. I'm,
1: I am I am something else. I am I am something else. So I always, you know, I have to show you this. So Garth Frizzell, who's the former president of FCM, is from Prince George, and we were in a trivia contest we had back during COVID. And this is the prize I won, which was a little Mr. PG. So my wife will be horrified that I had you in the office that didn't have the background blurred, but I have stuff all over. Hey, you know. I
0: see Baby Yoda. I see a town of Halton Hills uh, sign. I see a hard hat. Hey. You're just a man of many talents. Well, the
1: Baby Yoda is as, as a Star Wars fan. And you know, I have a cow up here in K- and a Buddha, you know, for <laughs> all these little things. And, and it's just, you know, my wife just calls the office. It's just such a mess darren hill, Darren Hill from Saskatoon wanted to fly down and come and said, "When can I fly down to organize your office?" And I said, "I am very afraid of you coming to do that, Darren, because I would not find anything and uh, and my wife was in complete agreement that Darren should come and actually do that as well. Now, I, now you're in Calgary, I am so so my um Oh, my gosh. The name just escaped me. My great-great-uncle was the personnel manager for a hotel in Calgary that was out by the airport in the northeast section. I'm in and the northeast the name, section? The name just slipped my mind, and they lived over by McMahon Stadium over in the northwest, I think it was. Oh, wow. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. And they lived in there. And the name of the hotel just escaped my mind, and it's a hotel that's still there. And he was the personnel manager out in that area. Well, so, hopefully
0: you come out to FCM in Calgary next year, and then you'll be able or plan. twenty twenty four, and then we could sit down. Well, I'll be in Halton Hills later this summer, but you can we can have we can continue this conversation. But I want to turn to tourism, and I want to turn to tourism because we're an hour and a half in, and. I I could probably talk to you for another like three days, and I could still feel like I'm completely stupid when it comes to municipal politics, because you were such a wealth of information. And you're the only Ontarian that could tell me about linear assessment, and how Ontario <laughs> is not that way. So there we go. Um, As I said, we have listeners and viewers from around the world, and we have, uh, as a a person who likes to spend their economic dollars in Canada, as as I'm a big proponent of tourism in Canada, what are some of the tourist hotspots in the region and in the town of Halton Hills? So we have a variety of tourism, uh, no matter what
1: part of the region you're in. Oakville, Burlington, or on Lake Ontario. So you get all kinds of water sports down there. Uh, salmon fishing, sailing, boating, everything down that way. Uh, the Niagara Escarpment runs through the heart of the region and through my ward as well. I'm about oh, two mi- a mile from the Escarpment where I am, two miles. There's also the Bruce Trail for those who are hiking. Uh, we have uh, Wait, bikes. Is Halton Hills trails. near Bruce? No, it's the Bruce Trail runs from okay. to to Niagara.
0: Wow, you're thinking that map? I don't remember the map looking like that. <laughs> no, I don't remember Bruce Power Generation being that close to Halton Hills. <laughs> not quite, not quite.
1: Uh, but you know what? It's actually only a couple hours away. We have, you know, without a doubt, you know, there's so many different tourist things that we have. Uh, Lucy Maud Montgomery, the author of Anne and Green Gables, lived in Norville, Ontario. I happen to be the counselor for that area. So there, you know, there is that interest. There's the cultural interest. Crawford Lake. There's an Indigenous village in Crawford Lake uh, in Milton, which is which is just spectacular. That goes back on our First Nations history of over the last thousands of years, and it was one that they found. There's reconstructed longhouses there. It's just an incredible place to visit. We have food. We have food tourism. We have agritourism with all these local farms like i don't know if you've ever heard of chudley's apple pies and chudley's uh if you've ever heard of them they're located in halton hills they're just down the road no they have a cafe yeah they have a cafe in melton where you can go in and get an apple blossom or or pies items like that as well they have entertainment apple cider but we have a whole bunch of other farms that are like that as well so in the in the fall when it gets into pumpkin season it's so busy in our, in our community from people coming out, looking at the different farms, picking apples, pick your own produce, pick your own farms. We also have a tourist attraction in Halton Hills that rivals Niagara Falls. And no, it's not my home. No, it is the Toronto Premium Outlets located on uh, 401 and uh, Trafalgar Road. And it attracts millions of visitors a year. And they're back to about 80% or so of their pre-pandemic levels. And there is, well, there's a coach store. There's, there's a Gucci store in there, Chris, where you can go in and get a, uh, a rhinestone-covered Gucci jacket for about $4,000. And they have everything in their fossil watches, Adidas, Nike. And that outlet just attracts people from all over even people who fly in from other countries to go shopping and go out. It's just such a huge tourist attraction and it attracts millions of people a year. It almost, it is not Niagara Falls, but it's not far behind Niagara Falls. So
0: how far is Niagara Falls from Halton and, Hills? How far? How is it? An hour and a half, hour and a half. So it's a good, it's a, it's a good excursion if you're in Niagara Falls region head out to Halton Hills. Absolutely. Now, it's funny, from traveling in various countries around the world
1: with FCM, I learned Canadians speak of distance as a measure of time, not as a measure of distance. So we always say something is an hour or two hours. And I was in South Africa, and, uh, and one of the guys said to me, and he said, well, how far is it in kilometers? And I had to look, I went, I don't know, it's an hour and a half. So we're, lo- we're located like, you know, for me to get to, down to see a Jays game, it's an hour or, you know, it's I can hop on the GO train and be down there in about an hour, you know, so it's not far as well. The, you know what? It's funny. I live in a community of about 10,000 here in, in the Acton area. We have the best Indian restaurant in town here that even people who are Indian for, uh, from India come out to our restaurant to eat that says across the road is a mexican restaurant the very same thing and down the road is a sushi restaurant so you know it's just even the food that we have in our area and there's a thai restaurant in halton hills called lily thai and no this is not a paid endorsement (laughs) form but my father-in-law who lives in cincinnati compares every restaurant he ever goes into to how good lily thai's is Every restaurant he visits, he will say, well, it was a good meal, but it wasn't as good as Lily Thai. And that's his benchmark for restaurants. restaurant. And their Thai food is just spectacular. But we have so much stuff here because of our history in Acton is with the leather. It was the leather community. It's worth the drive to Acton is our, is our catchphrase. And if you grew up in southern Ontario, you've heard of that phrase. The old Hyde House, Canada's largest leather goods store, is still there. And the product is it still around. Is just- Worked there four times. Yep.
0: Still around. It's worth the drive to act. So yep, let's, help. let's, let's ask the follow-up question to this, because I want to make sure I get this question on the record here, because you, you represent your community. You represent the region. Where do you go to decompress after a long day? And before you answer, You cannot say your office or your house. You have to say somewhere in your community. Well, shocker, because everyone usually wants to say their house.
1: I will, my bike, my wife and I will grab our e-bikes and go for a bike ride. Or we are four doors away from a lake. We will carry our kayaks down to the lake and go kayaking out on the lake. Um, If it's a longer trip, we go camping to some of our provincial parks and, and we're, we are, we aren't ones who sit around the park and uh, all day we go out and we, we explore the communities we visit and we, you know, that's what we love doing is going out and she can go into all these little shops. I know in three minutes, if I want to be on that shop and it's always, honey, take your time. I'll be outside. Just having a rest on the, on the bench. So that's what we do is, I love kayaking. I'm also a chef by trade. So I love cooking and creating creating different foods. And I make my own sauces like barbecue sauce. and I mentioned before about my own honey and, you know, and, and I just love creating. To me, creating food and creating a meal like that is the same as art. It's the same as that as well because, and I don't stack my food up that high on the plate it'll be maybe, you know, the flavors of it, you know, and for my lodge, I'm the guy who does the cooking now. So, you know, I planning meals. Okay. What are we having this month? It's going to be pulled pork. And, you know, the next month will be a brisket with a a porchetta roast roast and, you know, planning ahead and doing that stuff. So I don't come to my office to unwind. It's, it's not my unwind. You can more likely find me in the garden, you know, with my vegetables and, you know, out there taking care of the bees and picking raspberries and doing those things and creating.
0: I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for (laughs) taking time out of your busy schedule and doing this. But I want to leave on this final question, and this is the ultimate question. I always say the million-dollar question, but I've already said it three times during this interview because it's been that And long. I haven't had a check arrive. I haven't
1: had a check arrive. I <laughs>
0: know, but this, this is the question that is at the, at the crux of the entire series, and that is, in your opinion, what makes the town of Halton Hills and the region of Halton such a unique place to live, to work, and to raise a family?
1: and retire you always have to remember there's four and retire um and retire i'll start first is our location 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 you can be you can be out you know out in the countryside from my home in in five minutes i can be downtown an hour i can be into buffalo in an hour and a half it's location but it's also in my community and i really saw this on the weekend with the big snowstorm is we have a very caring community that i live in and whenever they see that there's someone who needs an assistance or if there's a fundraiser they always step up i'm always amazed by the capacity of our community of you know hearing well the food bank is low and the next thing you know you start hearing about hundreds of pounds of food being dropped off and arranged and it's that caring community that you know nowadays growing up people always would think about how your community you could leave your vehicle unlocked and your house unlocked and anyone who would come in they you know they weren't they weren't 'er dwells, but you may have your home locked but if the community still has that heart it still is a special place to live.
0: Clark I want to say from the bottom of my heart and I I know I've said it before but I want to say it again thank you so much thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and sitting down and talking to me I say this always but I mean it always your community is better served with you at the council table your community is served as at the region at you at the regional council table and I'm so looking forward to a meeting you in person and b discovering the hidden gems that you talked about earlier on in your community later this year because i've made a pledge to visit all these communities that come on my show it is a big task but i'm going to do it and i'm going to a lot of miles on my old car and a lot of maybe i can get a deal with like WestJet or (laughs) flare to do some flying here but thank you so much thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for sitting down and talking to me today
1: you're very welcome and you know what chris i've really enjoyed it and uh I've always believed is that there are people when they sit down and they go do interviews, they, they kind of block out, but you get a much better interview if, you, if you're going to be open and honest with the person talking and doing that as well. And besides my wife brought me cookies halfway through, how can I complain about that? And you, you know, losing internet was a perfect time for it, but I really do appreciate it. And I've been following on your other, you know, the podcasts and, you know, and uh, and listening in on them and, you know, I think the country is is well served by the leaders we have out there municipally. There's a good group that's coming up. I'm on a council where six out of 11 have changed or new. And it's really reinvigorating to have those new voices around the table because you're not always saying, well, we've already tried that. And like I, like I told you before, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. There's a guy I used to work with who was a chef who was German. And Andre used to say, you ask a question and you're stupid for a minute. If you don't ask the question, you'll be
0: stupid forever.
1: And I always thought that was just such a great way to put it, That ask the question. So thank you so much, Chris.
0: No, and I thank you. So with that, I want to remind everyone, put down social media for at least five minutes a day and go have a conversation with somebody. Helps our society, helps our democracy, and of course, it helps us be a better people at the end of the day. This has been the Cross Border Interviews with Chris Brown. This has been episode 550. We will be back in a week's time because we're off next week because we have to constantly, continuously bring new episodes and record new episodes. So until then, just keep